Aaron Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter, from their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. So she's someone who, you know, as you grow older um, and life changes and you have family and, you know, you don't go out as much. And a lot of friendships that you make in your 20s are based on being pissed and going yeah. out, you know, <laughs> socializing. So it's a real kind of test as you grow older and you go out less, you know, those friendships fall away and Reggie's kind of stayed tight and she's, she's literally family now. DJ, broadcaster and writer Annie McManus, better known as Annie Mac is my guest this week. She talks to me about leaving Dublin for the buzz of London, being stranded in Ibiza without a passport, and leaving BBC Radio 1 after 15 years to write her debut novel, Mother Mother. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you will know that this season is brought to you by Aussie Hare, who I've been working with for over six months now, I realised the other day. And the reason I realised that was because I was tagged in an Insta story by my co-host on The Breakfast Show, and I reshared the story he tagged me in, and I hadn't really thought much of it, but I got umpteen messages from people saying, Theron, shine off your hair in that story. It's just so fabulous. The Aussie products are truly brilliant. And I said, yes, absolutely. In particular, the SOS range. I would usually use my Colourmade shampoo and Colourmade conditioner most days a week, but I swap out the conditioner for the SOS 3-Minute Miracle Conditioning Treatment whenever I feel like I need a little bit more shine and moisture. So if it's hydration, and fabulous shine you're after this summer. Get on it, the SOS range is for you. And now for my chat with Annie Mack. I hope you enjoy. Annie McManus, you are extremely welcome to the laughs of your life. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Look what this, look at this fabulous thing I have in front of me. Oh God, there it is. <laughs> mother, mother. Now, I, I only got it, I think two days ago and I'm an extremely slow reader, so I don't have it finished. I'm not going to pretend I have it finished, but so far, yeah. so yeah. far, so fabulous. Brilliant. I'm glad that you're enjoying it so far. And the cover, I know you shouldn't judge a book, but like, um, come on, it's stunning. Well, the cover is beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm really delighted with the, with the cover. I'm having a complete crisis of confidence about what's inside the book. Like, so, like, if anyone says anything nice, I'm like, that's great, but I don't believe you. Like, I'm, <laughs> it's kind of, that's where I'm at at the moment. I just, I can't, I just, I'm, I'm having the kind of pre-release nerve, kind of nervous breakdown. Situation. But you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be Irish if that, what, if, if you, like, that has to be your reaction. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, like, you yeah. can't physically take a compliment. No, God, no, no way. Especially something that I feel so vulnerable, vulnerable about anyway. Like, you know, I feel like a complete imposter and it, like it's all a total farce. So like, so that on top of being Irish is just, you know. <laughs> you've, had, you've had a pretty busy week. I, saw, I was watching your Insta stories. You had a, maybe a slight hangover yesterday after the Brits. Yeah, yeah, slight being very understate, understated. It was disgusting. It was a disgusting hangover. But you know what? It was really fun to be out. And it was really last minute. Like normally whenever I've gone to the Brits, um, you know in advance, you spend weeks fucking freaking out about what you're going to wear and trying to find the right thing and squeezing into heels. And, and I only found out the night before 
that they wanted me to, to, to do the award. Clearly someone dropped out, but sure we'll take it. Um, and I, what was cool was that I just had to like find something to wear in my wardrobe and I just wore trainers. And it's so stupid, right? But it was such a revelation, so liberating to go schlep across London and do the whole thing in trainers. It was like, why am I only doing this now? Like, yeah. um, so that was wonderful. And then it was just really nice to see people. Everyone got tested before they went in. So it was a kind of, it was an experiment event. Uh, so you could hug people. You could, you know, I, I, all these artists I'd interviewed three or four times on Zoom and never met in real life was like, oh my God, look at you. You're really tall. I've only ever seen you from your head on your shoulders. Like <laughs> there was a lot of that, just like seeing people in real life. And obviously, you know, there was a couple of drinks taken. Look at, uh, yeah. I, I cannot even imagine how many drinks will be consumed on my first night out. So look at, yeah. it has to be done. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Annie Mac, are you ready to answer some questions about the laughs of your life? Sure am. Okay, your first memory of laughter. So I think um, I'm the youngest of four and I, my earliest memory period is running to my mom giving out because my brother whacked me. Right. So my, I, I kind of, my earliest memories are kind of being tortured by my brothers for fun. Um, I remember them hanging me up by the back of my like t-shirt or jumper, like on a, on a, you know, coat hook in the hole. So like my legs and arms are just like dangling. Um, and them being, you know, um, finding that absolutely hilarious. And <laughs> um, there was this other weird thing that we used to do that where we used to stuff all of the teddy bears we owned under our bed um, like, and like squish them in there. And then we'd have to kind of pull, like, like haul ourselves through the teddy bears. I remember that being a thing as well. And again, like being stuck under a bed, like squished by loads of teddy bears and being laughed at. So it mainly has been laughed at as a child, being the butt of the jokes. Um, but my role in my family has always been that it's always been the kind of the one that everyone laughs at and the one that kind of makes people laugh. I'm kind of like the, the court jester of the family. <laughs> well, the next question is the first time you felt laughed at. So we'll use this, we'll say it's an amalgamation of both, right? Yeah. Yeah. So was that kind of, in summary, was that your childhood? Were you the one that was poked fun at because you were the youngest? And how did you react to that? Like, do you think that molded you into a person that wanted to maybe impress because I'm the youngest and I always wanted to impress my older siblings then. Yeah, there's definitely that. I, I kind of found my role as the youngest was the person who kind of lightens, lightens the, the mood. Basically it's that, it's that role. Um, and either to, to be like, okay, you can laugh for me or I'm going to make you laugh. It's one of the two. It's just like my job was to try and make people laugh. Uh, unconsciously of course like I didn't realize that at the time but looking back it was quite apparent um I've just remembered probably one of the things that I I laughed at at the first uh, like at the beginning is um my dad used to you know when you get a tomato you know the top of the tomato like the kind of green um Dorky bit Talky bit, yeah. So he used to get a few of them in his hand and like put them like this and chase us around the house and go, oh, oh spiders, because they look like spiders. So oh, what do they do? Screeching, screeching and screaming around the house with him chasing us uh, with that. So that's like a happy memory of, of laughing, but also in a kind of petrified way. <laughs> Whereabouts in Dublin did you grow up? 
it was it's in Sandyford, like um, kind of Dundrum. Yeah. So um, pre the Dundrum shopping centre. Oh. Before those days, um, PDC. Um, <laughs> it was. It was just like yeah. It's just an estate. It's called Clonard. Um, it's off the Sandyford Road. Very kind of standard housing estate, like um, around there. Yeah. And school. What was the Annie in school like? Were you big and bold in the classroom, or were you quiet, or what were you? What would you have been like? I don't know. I I I, I I'm not quite sure. I don't think I was. I definitely wasn't as much of a kind of court jester type in school. I was probably more just getting on with it. Like there was definitely people in my class that were like the class clowns. Um, um, so I think I just, yeah, I just got on with it. I was more just head down and carry on. Um, um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't take it like really seriously, but I didn't, um, I, I wasn't like a, like a messer, you know? Okay. Okay. You weren't yeah. taking the mic. I hear you. Yeah. Okay. Annie Mac, the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Um, there was a, there was a time when I, I'm like really, really, um, scatty. And when life was, uh, a bit more chaotic than it is now, I, I used to kind of add to the chaos by losing things and forgetting things very often. And I had a situation where I had to fly to Ibiza on Friday morning with my family and my in-laws, my parent-in-laws, um, to do a live broadcast for BBC Radio 1 on a Friday night and then to go and DJ after. So it was kind of one of the biggest events of the year, like the live events for Radio 1. The whole station was going over. We've been talking about it on air. There's a huge audience. We had loads of guests. It was a big deal. And um, just before we left the house, um, I realised I had lost my passport. Couldn't find it anywhere fucking panic stations turn the house upside down my husband's mom and dad were there too so we had four adults looking everywhere we could not find it we decided to go to the airport anyway and i had to get my bbc boss who was on the same flight to go to ba and to the desk and basically i brought my son who was a baby on my arm as if to kind of try and you know get i'm pissy. a mother Look at me, look at me. I have a baby in my arms. I have to get on this plane. As if a baby's got anything to do with Ibiza, like fucking DJing in Ibiza. And my husband, my boss was like, you know, I'm her boss, it's the BBC, this is a really big thing. And they knew about the event because like Radio 1 in Ibiza is pretty culturally like big in the world of dance music. And they let me on the plane without a passport, right? And then on the other side, I had to go and be met by a guy called... Julio, couldn't fucking make it up, and be brought to a room in Ibiza airport and like sit there for two hours. And like while they filled in loads of forms, they gave out shit to me. They were like, you shouldn't be allowed in here. This is fucking insane. You, you know, you have to, they, they did a police report. I had to go and find a passport, get, get an emergency passport when I got there. But I got into the country. So it was like, oh my God, I'm back on YouTube without a passport. Ha ha ha. And like everyone thought it was amazing, like story, right? So that was kind of funny at that at the start, like fucking hell, while I laugh, got into a beat without a passport. Then obviously did the thing, had to go and get the emergency passport, it was a pain in the hole. And then I couldn't get back to London. Basically, 
even though I had, um, what was the deal? I can't remember what it was, but basically they wouldn't let me on a flight back to London. And the, the like, even though they like let BA had let me kind of swan off to a beat without a passport, they were saying that we will not allow you into the country without an emergency passport. And I think for some reason I couldn't get the emergency passport. I can't remember what it was, but basically yeah. it was two days of being like, oh fuck, like I could actually be stranded here. I don't know how to get home and they're not letting me home and pleading and pleading and pleading, going to, going to the airport with my family when they had to go home and BA not letting me on the flight. And then my husband having to go home with the biggest hangover of his life with my two young children and his parents and it feeling like, I mean, obviously it's not that bad, but at the time it was like, this is, like, I don't know how long I'm going to have to stay here. And I had to, like, wave them off, like, bye. And they went off. And then I was just like, all right, great. I'm going to be there on my own, and I don't know how I'm going to get home. And then there was another whole day of calls. I ended up putting it on Twitter, being like, oh, my God, I'm stuck in a visa BA. Please, can you help me? And then some lovely man, again, let me on to the plane without a passport. And I got back into the country without a passport again. Um, got escorted oh. off the plane um, and through passport control by this lovely man who I'll never forget um, yeah so it was kind of like <laughs> slightly traumatising the whole affair like lol but then really traumatising and there was a point where like is this like what like fucking sort your life out Annie <laughs> and I never found the passport I never found it I and still how, don't know what it is how old were the kids at the time? They were babies. So they were maybe like, I don't know. I don't even know if the second one was born. I think that I had one who was maybe like three, two or three or something like that. That yeah. is, that is traumatizing though, waving off and not knowing. At, yeah. least, if you knew, at least if you knew, oh, it's just going to be one night. It's okay. It'll be fine. Yeah. No! I didn't know. So it was kind of a bit worrying. And then obviously I had radio shows. Like I had shows yeah. that were missing. And so that was kind of like, a bit, a bit of a, a stress as well. So yeah, that's, um, you know, the lesson is don't fucking lose your passport, lads. I mean, it is cool bragging rights for the kids. When they are in Ibiza, when they're older, they're gonna be like, you know, my mom rocked into this country before without a passport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just won't tell them about the trauma on the way home, <laughs> the tears. Oh, I love it. Okay, Annie Mac, your no laughing matter moment in life. So the time when there was just no room for laughter. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what that could be. Something tough. Yeah, something tough. Like, I haven't really gone through um, that kind of, you know, close family grieving situation yet. Obviously, it's, it happens to all of us. You know what? Like, just what's uh, in my head at the moment a lot is... Um, living in London and not being able to see my family. And I'm finding that really hard in the last year. Um, there's a, a kind of uh, caveat to living in London for me personally, that when you move away, it's with, you know, it's with the condition that I know I can jump on a Ryanair flight and be home in 50 minutes whenever I need to. Um, and I've kind of made myself a promise before coronavirus happened that, my parents are getting a lot older 
um, and my mom's going to be 79 next week, that I was going to try and see them every month um, because I was conscious of that fact that I was, I felt more conscious than ever about being away from them. Um, and then fucking coronavirus happens and it was, it, you just get that panicky feeling, you know, you're like, I don't know when I'm going to see them. And you have these really awkward FaceTimes where they can't hear you and the kids aren't behaving in the way you want them to behave. And you just feel this kind of separation kind of deepening and it's quite distressing. Um, so I think I found that really tough, especially over the Christmas period. And it's just the idea of not knowing. Yeah. And then you have that kind of uh, horrible thought at the back of your mind all the time. What if something happens? What if they get ill and, you know, you, you, you can't see them or you miss out um, on time? It's that kind of idea of time going and you having no control um, of it. So, yeah, so that's been kind of tough. And it's made me think about bigger questions about my choices and where I live. And, you know, if this is the world we live in now, am I doing the right thing by living here? You know, all of those things have kind of risen to the surface. So um, I'm hoping to go home in the next few months and hopefully, God, it will be amazing to get home. But I feel like there's a lot of work to do, you know, in, in going back and kind of just having my kids remember who their grandparents are, you know, and we establishing those relationships and just having time, the luxury of time, you know. I think, I think everyone has had those moments of like, hang on a second. And I, I think it's been a good thing or it is a good thing for the most part, you know, even for me, like I have worked pretty solidly, like since I left college and I, I, I was never someone who was like, I'm going to go traveling and, and like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be 29 next week. And I'm kind of like, heck, like, I need to do that. As soon as we're allowed to travel, I need to go. And so whether it's travel, whether it's where you live, like even within Ireland, I think there's so many people who are from outside of Dublin, but have lived in Dublin for years and are now like, what the hell am I doing up here? Like with remote working and they're going back and they're. Yeah. Yeah, you do. It's kind of really, it's a reckoning of sorts, isn't it? It really makes you think about what, you know, how you want to live. Um, When you first moved away, like, could you ever, I'm sure the answer is going to be no, but you know, could you ever have anticipated um, how long you would stay away, how successful you would be away? Like what, when you moved, what was the plan initially? Mm-hmm. The plan was to, well, I moved out of Dublin to Belfast to go to college. Yes. So I kind of made that jump to live away from home. So moving to England didn't feel like that bigger step after that. Um, I just, I was proper like starry eyed. I just wanted like, I just wanted the, I just wanted to go to the fucking, it's such a cliche, like to the big smoke. And like, um, my brother was living over there already and he was in a band. So I kind of had glimpses of like, you know, you know, celebrity and, 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 and like the, the, the idea of the music industry and working within that. Um, and I just wanted, I was just really keen to go and do that. Like since writing this book, I keep being asked, like, when did you start wanting to write? And even though I did English literature in college, I didn't want to write then. I was like, it was all like radio, music, fucking let's get to London. Um, it was only ever that. And there was no plan apart from that, just to get my job at Radio One. That was my only plan. Um, and, and try and kind of seek my fortune. I had no I didn't think then long-term you didn't really like beyond the immediate. So, and what's strange is that only since turning 40 in the last couple of years, life slowing down 
um, and being forced to slow down with the pandemic. It's only now coming out of 15 years of fucking mayhem, like what life as a whirlwind of just traveling and juggling everything that I've really like gone, whoa, and I've taken a breath and been like, fuck, that was mad. Like what next? Like what do I want to do now? And am I in the right place to do it? Well, I mean, the fact that it felt like a whirlwind and it all went fast, it shows you were doing the right thing because you were enjoying it. Absolutely. And like talking, what you were saying about, you know, having, harboring that desire to travel. I don't have that because it's, it's, it, it's happened because of the work that I did it. There was a lot of that. So I'm, I'm kind of the opposite of you now where I'm kind of like, I'm quite excited about the idea of a bit of a peaceful life and kind of settling down. Well, I don't know how long that will, that will last for. Like, um, I, I'm still up for like short, short term, uh, like trips and that kind of thing. And, and not being on the radio uh, in September, I'm quite excited about the kind of the idea of being able to fuck off for four months if I want, not being beholden to a job in that way. But right now I'm just loving being in one place. It's nice. How do you think you're going to feel before that final show? I will feel really emotional. Um, and... I think it will be, I don't know. I just don't know how it will feel. I've seen lots of other radio DJs do their final shows and I've kind of been around while they've happened. And normally what happens is a lot of the staff will kind of come and gather in the live lounge and clap in the last link. But that just won't happen this time because of COVID. And I'm kind of relieved because um, yeah. it's kind of between you and the listener, really, you know. Um, so I feel like, I just want it to feel natural and fun and celebratory and hopefully not bore my eyes out too much, but it will be emotional, I think. And I haven't really come to terms with how much I will miss of it. And I'm fully expecting um, and anticipating some sort of a, some sort of an emotional breakdown after I leave. Cause I've done it for 17 years, you know, it's, it's my whole life. Um, and just the, the, what, what happens in the process of radio, I take for granted a lot, you know, just the idea of going somewhere every day, having a purpose, connecting with people in that way, and also talking to artists. Like, I really enjoy that aspect of it. And a lot of them are really young and passionate, and I just love chatting to young people about, you know, life and work and music. So I think I'll really miss those daily conversations. Um, so I'm just going to have to work hard at making sure that I see people and replacing radio with seeing people every day. And, um, and you know, I'm not leaving radio forever. Fucking hope not anyway. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be another show at some point, but there's just, I think a break will be good. In the Change interim. is good. Change is always good. Yeah. Okay, Annie, the person you always laugh with. So one of my oldest and best friends is a girl called Reju Sharma, Rajuka, and she is um, from Dudley and she is British Asian and we became very good friends when we moved in together after working together at Radio One and she's um fucking hilarious and she what we discovered about our friendship was that we weirdly have kind of strange parallels in our backgrounds culturally um in terms of like how um Asian culture works with their attitudes to religion, getting pissed at weddings, just all the traditions um, that we both have to kind of uh, uphold and have come from. 
And we just have a really similar sense of humor, but she's one of those people that literally, as soon as she picks up the phone and says, hello, I feel like laughing. Like, <laughs> you know, like when you have a friend who just like, it's, it's just her voice, the tone of her voice. And she has this laugh that is so wicked that like, even thinking about it makes me laugh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's someone who, you know, as you grow older um, and life changes and you have family and, you know, you don't go out as much. And a lot of friendships that you make in your 20s are based on being pissed and going yeah. out, you know, <laughs> socializing. So it's a real kind of test as you grow older and you go out less, you know, those friendships fall away. And, Reggie's kind of stayed tight and she's she's literally family now um I'm so grateful for her so she's just someone who I've had like crazy times with um she's always the last person at the party and she just makes me laugh so much yeah have you been able to see much of her probably not yeah, not not as much but she she's we've been doing a few garden raves Lovely. She, she came over recently and I cut her hair in the garden and <laughs> Um, yeah, we hung out like she's she's we call her fairy godmother to my kids. Um, so she comes and ladens them with presents. Um, if if you heard yourself in 2019 saying that, yeah, no, she came over the other day and I cut her hair in the garden, (laughs) yeah, isn't it mad? Like what you just adapt to, (laughs) so good. Okay, Annie, a time where you had the last laugh. I mean, it's funny at radio. I always, when I joined Radio 1, thought that I wanted that lunchtime kind of daytime show. Traditionally, Joe Wiley did that show and Fern Cotton did that show. Um, And that was always my goal. And then I had a situation where, I mean, I was covering at the weekends for Sarah Cox, who was pregnant. And uh, she, I did it for six months. And at the end of that six months, my boss asked me, would I want to do that show permanently? At the same time as that was happening, I was doing my show um, in the night times and I was DJing. My DJ career had really kicked off and it meant that my shows on Saturday and Sunday afternoons were fucking hard because I would be getting in at six in the morning, traveling all weekend, legging it back, trying to be there for these shows. And I just felt like I wasn't very good in the shows. And I said no to my boss when he offered me that on the basis of say, of saying like, I don't feel like I'm bringing a lot to the shows. I feel like the shows aren't good enough. And, um, and, and I just don't think that it's the right thing for me to do, right? Mm. He took that really badly. He didn't like me saying no to him at all. And I didn't know at the time that I could say, you know, uh, could I ask for a different producer or could I, could we work together in trying to make these shows work for me? I just thought it was a yes or no. I was given very little time to say it and I panicked and said no. And, um, he, I feel like, um, that didn't go down well. And because of that, I was kind of never really offered or talked to about any other different promotions after that. And it took a long time for Radio 1 bosses at the time to see me as someone who might want to do more so it was a good like maybe 10 years no hang on it was 2013 that I got Zane's show 2004 yeah so it, it was probably a good kind of I don't know six or seven years later of me doing the nighttime shows being lord of the dance or whatever doing all the festivals that I then got offered this other show the weeknight show and looking back 
it um it was the best thing for me it, it's funny how you have an idea of how you want your path to be and then it doesn't go the way you want it to go um and you adapt yeah. but i'm so happy the, that i was kind of um not uh i didn't go down that way then because i really enjoyed the fact that i was able to be like spend all that focused time on dj like dance music and dj culture yeah um i i, I don't know it wasn't it wasn't it's really hard to explain like, you you, it, you went with your gut i went with my gut yeah and it, it was the right thing to do in retrospect but at the time i felt a bit like i was punished for it and i felt like you know that feeling of like you wanting to um evolve and just having a wall in front of me um but i kind of got there i went around the houses yes and, and got there in a different way and, and i'm really happy because that show that i do now is the dream show because the difference between the daytime show and the show that I do now is the show that I do now is totally free in terms of the choices that you make. So you have complete autonomy in, in what you play. Whereas the daytime show, it's very playlisted, it's very regimented. Um, so there's, a, there's an element of, of kind of having a lot less control and I like control. So it works <laughs> <out> well. <laughs> Okay, Annie, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be for you? Mm. Um, I love Tato crisps. Oh. I have a deep and enduring love affair with Tato crisps. Any, like my family often just send me care packages of 12 packs of Tato um, to keep me going. Um, so uh, like uh, my ideal is like a like, uh, batch loaf Brennan's batch, white, yeah. with real butter, tato crisps, a, a full pack, and mayonnaise. Oh God, my mouth is watering right now. <laughs> but that's like my ideal, like post pub snack. Let's go the full hog. So let's then go to the Blue Light in Dublin. Do you know that pub? Oh my God, Annie! I had my what? first date with my boyfriend in the Blue Light. It's my favorite pub of all time. Oh. It amazing i that's where i used to do all my all my drinking in school my bad <laughs> like we used to go up there and there used to be this kind of outhouse with a super sair heater and we used to just sit there with pints and when we were like 17 and and, and, and just love our lives and then there's a kind of uh, every time i go home it, there's something really romantic about it because you go there and there's dublin right and it, like i love being able to see the city you know so being able to go there, have a pint and see Dublin, it's like sightseeing and drinking. It's all, all in one. It's perfect. So yeah, so we go there, have you know, two or three lovely pints of Guinness, then come home, have the tato sandwich. Boom. I'm healed. What the hell? That is, you've literally explained my first date with my boyfriend. Like there's a reason we've been together two years now. He, he knew. The he way knew to my you. heart. He knew you. Well, well done him. And I love how like unromantic, like it, it's, unro it's romantic is <laughs> in the view, but inside is so like, it's just, it's, there's no frills, is there? Like it's not no. fancy. Not at all. And actually it was like March when we went. So it was like, it was freezing Free outside. So we yeah. sat inside and I, I asked, he got a pint obviously. And I was like, I'm going to have a G&T. And it took them literally like 20 minutes to find gin in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
god yes we must have a drink there sometime i would love to okay are you ready for your quick fire round yeah okay again okay. i don't know how i'm gonna do it or i'm gonna try <laughs> okay the actor you always laugh at um i love Colomini. I always say that if I died, like, um, uh, sorry, not if I died. I always say that if, you know, that when people ask you, like, what actor would play you in a film, I always say him because we love to say him. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I know, but honestly, it's quite, it's, yeah. His That's hair, brilliant. Hair, yeah. <laughs> okay, the actress you always laugh at. Um, I love um, Maya Rudolph. Oh. Yeah, and I have to shout out Ashling B. Like, oh. love Ashling B as well. Really excited for just her future on the yes, television. Yes, me too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, the movie that makes you laugh out loud. It has to be Bridesmaids. Like, you just—it's just fucking unbeatable. Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd yeah. tweeted last week and was like, uh, 10 years of Bridesmaids." So I watched it that night, and I just was like, yeah. every single performance is a masterclass in comedy. Totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay, the comedian that makes you laugh out loud. Um, I love Ramesh Ranganathan. Do you know him? Yeah. He, um, like, just recently, uh, he did my podcast, and I, I, we, we, we were literally, you know, when you laugh so hard that you're nearly pissing yourself. It was, it was <laughs> that. Um, so I really like him. Yeah. Okay, and finally, Annie Mac, your best or worst joke? I only have one. Go on. Um, I can literally see Reggie, who we just spoke about, rolling her eyes right now because it's the only joke I have and I always bring it out at parties and it's terrible and it's filthy. So what do you call an apartment block covered in tiny little vaginas? Go on. A block of flaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. I'm sorry. It's but so bad. It's laughing. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so good. I'm fully stealing it. Steal it. It's good for the pub. <laughs> good for the pub. <laughs> oh my god, Annie Mac, this has been so lovely. I've I've so enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you so much for having us. Honestly, it was it was a tonic, as my mother would say. <laughs> Thank you for sharing the laughs of your life. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life with Annie McManus, better known as Annie Mac. I hope you enjoyed it. This is the part where I usually say lots more great episodes to come this season, but actually we only have three left. So if you haven't liked, subscribed, rated or reviewed, I would really appreciate if you did. Rating and reviewing makes such a difference. It means more people see the podcast on their podcast platforms and it just gives me a little boost too. So please head over and do so if you haven't done it before and thank you in advance. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and is brought to you by Aussie Hair. Great hair, no worries. Hold up. 